Hello and welcome to the World Journeys podcast. My name is Andrew and uh, it's great to have you listening in for episode three of the World Journeys podcast. Today we are listening to an interview I did with Maxim Savard, who was living in Ritsu, Kentucky. Uh, when the tsunami hit on that fateful day, March 11th, 2011. So it's, uh, it's a very interesting podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to the interview. And uh, I think we'll go straight into it. Uh, hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, today I am joined by Maxime Savard. Bonjour. Bonjour, Maxime. Comment ça va? Ah, ça va bien, ça va bien. Et toi? Ah, moi aussi, moi aussi. Uh, don't, don't panic, listeners. No, we won't be doing today's podcast in French because I just exhausted all the French I know. Uh, but, uh, Maxime, perhaps, uh, would you like to, to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and where, where we find you today? Okay, so my name is Maxime and I'm from Montreal, Canada. And... I lived there for almost 30 years, then I moved to Japan, I moved to Hiroshima, lived there for four years, and now you can find me in Iwate, in Ichinoseki. Which is where we are doing this, uh, this interview. Uh, so how long have you lived in Japan, Maxime? Japan since 2006. Ah, so coming on to about eight years now. Yeah, time flies. Hmm. And have you you lived in basically in Japan continuously since then, barring, you know, holidays home? Yeah, I went a few times back home, but all my times in Japan. Hmm. And uh, besides your wife, what is it that keeps you in Japan? My job. I don't know. Japan is a safe place, as far as crime goes. But uh, nature can be quite troublesome. Mm. I was going to hold back on the the questions on on this till uh, we'd warmed up somewhat. But uh, since you since you brought it up, you were here uh, March eleventh, two thousand and eleven. Yes, we were living in Bikuzen Takata on the coast of Iwate, and it was my last day of work when the tsunami came. Wow. Um, if it's okay with you, could you tell us just a little bit about the experience or, you know, about that day? Well, that day was a really nice day to start with. So we had made plans because it was my last day of work. My wife prepared a really nice dinner. We brought some... We had bought some nice wine for dinner to have a big party. And then I was doing my little work, finished my last class, staying in the teacher's room, just waiting for the clock to tick 4 o'clock so that I can go home. But then it's not the big earthquake came. And that was about a quarter to three? Yeah, something like that in the afternoon. And then when the earthquake hit, it was pretty bad, pretty strong, so I just had time to send a text message to my wife to tell to tell her where we should meet because we figured out that well I figured out that it could be possibly my last message for a while 
because all the electricity was gone, so no electricity means no cell phones. Mm. And where, where was your wife at the time? At that time, I didn't know where she was. I knew that she had an appointment at the hospital early in the day for Luca's vaccine. Luca's uh, your eldest child. Yeah, he was six months at that time. So it was not until the next day in the afternoon that I could contact my wife. The next day? The next day. So it was like about 24 hours? Yeah, about 24 hours I had no news. Mm. And what, what did you... Did you... Um, you stayed at school after the earthquake? After the earthquake, I stayed at school until 4 o'clock. But I was actually in the next city. I was uh, in the Alfonato city. So that school was safe because it's up in the mountains. But I was thinking, should I stay there or should I go back to my town? So it was starting to get dark, so I decided to go back. And I took a detour because the main route between the two cities is on the coast. And it was under the water, so I went around the mountains. So there, there had been a tsunami warning? Yeah, we could hear it on the speakers. Okay. Um, what time did the tsunami hit, do you know, approximately? Was it a couple of hours after the earthquake? Not a couple of hours. It was like 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Oh, okay. So it had already, the tsunami had already hit before you'd left school. Yeah, the tsunami was coming, how can I say, to the, the bridge near the school. Because after the big earthquake, all the kids got onto the school ground. And after a while, they decided to send the kids back home. Okay. So, some of the kids lived south. They were going south by bike or walking. And then the police and firemen told them to go back. So, they came back to school. And told us the mm. story. So some teachers went with them also to check the situation. And we knew up to where we could go. Okay, so they had some idea of the immediate damage. Yeah, they could see the whole town under the water. Oh, right. From, from the school? Not from the school, from about 500 meters from the school. Oh, okay. So... Did you end up going back to, is it Kentata? Yeah, I went back around the mountain. It took me almost two hours to go around the mountains. And we had to take some I don't know, mountain roads mm -hmm. because the main road was flooded and there was no way to go through. But there were nice volunteers guiding us all along the way. No, okay. So the sort of the, I guess the volunteer spirit like sprang up almost immediately. Yeah, the people living around there, they were showing the way and tell people, not don't go that way. And you got back to Rizu Kentaka? Yeah, I got back to the, the junior high school where I used to teach. And it was all dark. There was no electricity. 
there were a few people with flashlights and they were starting to install some power generator but only for a few lights oh, okay and they were taking names right making posters of who is in the school okay then had the tsunami reached the junior high school the tsunami couldn't reach the junior high school because it's up on the hill okay it's like it's about almost 50 meters off the ground that's a fairly safe place and I mean Resort Kentaka is it's not right on the coast is it yeah it's on the coast it's, it's a coast okay it's a beach <laughs> Fair enough. I thought I I kind of imagined just a little bit in, but uh, I haven't been there. So uh, the main city is an extension of the beach. Ah, okay. So that's why it was hit so hard. And so you you finally heard from your wife, twenty four hours later. Yeah. So I stayed mm. in the school all night. I was trying to find out my family mm. using some volunteers and students, but it was kind of hard to explain that I'm looking for a Japanese-looking person when 100% of the people were Japanese and with only a little flashlight I was just walking around and trying to find out, looking at faces and the next morning well basically I stayed up all night, couldn't sleep it was pretty cold, the next morning I went out and to take a look at the city because when I arrived in Rikuzen Takai, it was pitch, bar, pitch black, yeah. so I couldn't see anything. So the next morning I went out for a walk and just go down the hill from the school to well, see the devastation. And it was pretty terrible. When, um, how, how did you find your wife? Did, did she call tel telecommunications back up or? Well, during that day, I was walking around town to the accessible places. Like there are a few refuges, like the other schools, the elementary school and some kindergartens. So I was like, which place is she? So I was going everywhere. And after a while, I came back to the main junior high school. And they were flying some people by helicopter. They were trying to land helicopters on the school ground. And I think it was a fourth batch of people she was in. And, well, as soon as she said her name, people came to me to tell me that she was here. Mm. Because I used to teach at that school, so all the students were in school. Which is almost like 300 people. Mm, I, I can't imagine it. Can't imagine it. At all. And uh, so, anyways, uh, after the tsunami, um, where did you stay and how did you come to Ichinoseki? After the tsunami, we were in the junior high school. There were a special room, which is a room for the school where they put all the babies, all the mothers and family with babies, there. There was still no heating, but there were carpets and hot water for making milk for babies and, and diapers. 
And from there, there were another couple near us that they used to live next door. We didn't really, weren't really friends. But they asked, they had family in Morioka. So they told us, they asked us, do you want to go? And my wife was thinking about it, but I said, yeah, let's go. Didn't wait for, there was nothing to go back mm. in Nikuzantakata. Your apartment. My apartment, everything was gone, so I was, let's get away from there. And so how long were you at the junior high school? I was there only for the one day, the one night. That afternoon we met that person. So my wife came to the junior high school, we stayed there for like one hour, and then they offered us to go to Morioka, and we went. I still had the car, so I had that mm. option to drive. But I didn't have that much gasoline, so... And at that time we had no idea about Fukushima, the, the accident in Fukushima. There was no news about that? No I news guess. about that. I guess, how were people staying in contact? Because the phones weren't working for how long? When we arrived in Morioka, there was no electricity, but the phone lines were working, the landline. Oh, okay. So we were able to call my wife's family in Hiroshima, and I was able to talk with them, and they called my family in Canada. Okay. So that's... that's within 48 hours? Yeah, I was able to contact the people in Hiroshima. Hmm. How, long, how long was power out in, in Morioka? In Morioka, we had power the next afternoon. Oh, okay. Because in Ichinoseki it was about two weeks, I'm told. Well, it depends on location. No, okay. But in Morioka, where they were living, it came back the next, well, the Sunday afternoon. Then we were able to see the news on TV and find out about all the damage and get some money from the bank. Mm. And was there was there much on Fukushima then, or still? Yeah, we could see the Fukushima on TV. So at that time, we were thinking about our plans because our goal was to go back to Hiroshima to my wife's family but there was not we couldn't drive there were no trains so what we ended up doing after what two days I think we drove all the way to Akita airport and found flights there from Akita to Hiroshima okay and so you, you obviously couldn't book anything before you got there, so you... Yeah, we booked something on the on cell phone. Oh, okay. We used the cell phone to book flights. And you stayed in Hiroshima for about four weeks? Three weeks? Yeah, almost a month. Until I could get back to the company and figure out what they were doing for the next year. Because obviously my school was, well, two of my schools were destroyed by the tsunami. And I didn't know if I had a job next year. So I was waiting for the company to give me back some info. In the mm. meantime, we were in Hiroshima. And eventually you got 
uh, you got posted here in Ichinoseki. Yeah, I was given a choice. Well, not really a choice. I was offered to go to Ichinoseki. And from there, I was trying to find out an apartment from Hiroshima using the internet and everything. Figure out where there was power, water, because still many apartments we called the rental agency and we're like, oh yeah, that apartment has no no electricity, no water. Do you want it? Or many apartments were damaged mm. and they didn't want to rent damaged apartments. We had to argue with them. It's like, I don't mind if there's a crack in the wall. <laughs> As long as it's structurally safe. Yeah. So, from that time, then we figured out when we could get an apartment, and we flew back to Akita, where the car was parked. Get the car back and drive to Morioka, sign my contract, go to a company meeting, and everybody was talking about their experience. And people were complaining that they didn't have internet for a week. And I wasn't saying anything. And uh, you also lived for a number of years in Hiroshima. Yeah, I lived for my first four years in Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, how would you, how would you compare living in, in Iwate to living in Hiroshima? Obviously different in so many ways, but... Well, being from Canada, Hiroshima is warm, really warm in summer, and summer is very long. In Hiroshima, from the beginning of May until October, I would use the air conditioning almost 24-7. End of October. End of October. And Iwate, we use the heater until the beginning of May mm. and well summer is nicer here it's less humid and I don't know it's the many people compare the regions but those people are still Japanese people they speak a little differently but it's all the same thing it's all the same shops all the same foods mm. and uh, for someone who's coming just visiting Japan, what would you say, what would you say uh, are the highlights of Iwate? Iwate, there is a lot of nature, a lot of food, but the distance between places is really huge. Sometimes you look at the map and in Iwate it looks like 30 minute drive, but it's a four hour drive. And you need a car to go anywhere. Yeah, if you're just heading to Ichinoseki or to Marioka or something, then you can use the Shinkansen. Although it's expensive, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's only a little over two hours from Ichinoseki to Tokyo by Shinkansen. But, yeah, but uh, from the station going anywhere, mm. you need a car. Mm, that's the issue of Iwate. You do need a car to go anywhere. And a few interesting places were on the coast that they're being destroyed by the tsunami. And 
Unless you want to go on a tsunami tour. Do they have tsunami tours? Yeah, you can book a tsunami tour from Tokyo. Wow. You can go see all the devastated places. They have also volunteer tours. I presume that such a tour, the, the money you pay goes back into the... Rebuilding the region. Rebuilding the region, I and hope. if you want to do some volunteer work over there, it's possible. Mm, a lot of people have, have come to Japan to volunteer. And uh, when you were in Canada, what was your job, Maxi? In Canada, I was working in a corporate travel agency. So I used to make travel reservations for different customers. And I think my best experience was working for the Canadian government. Oh, okay. We were making reservations for all the the government employees. Because Canada is huge, so anywhere you want to go, you need to take a flight. And yourself, have you traveled to many other places? Yes, I visited quite a few places. I've been to Europe, Asia, the Caribbean. Oh, where have you been in the Caribbean? I went to Dominican Republic, Cuba, and Cayman Islands. And uh, you were you were you were going to tell a story to me about uh, sending Canadian police to Colombia? Yeah, because one part of the Canadian job is to take care of the national police. So when a Canadian commits a felony in a foreign country, Canada has to go picking him up. Oh, okay. So we were booking one-way tickets going there, like for sending two people to Colombia and, and five that. tickets back. Oh. Obviously, Colombia is uh, one place in the world where Canadians go and just can't control themselves and go on crazy crime sprees. Yeah, I guess so. And the funny part about these reservations, sometimes you need to call the airline and tell them, oh, my passenger is going to have chains. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to board the flight before the other passengers. And what happens there? Do they just go, okay, chains, no worries? <laughs> you know, it's pretty smooth when with regular airlines, but if you go to like small... Small towns or uh, local airlines, sometimes it's a bit of a problem. So they, were, they weren't all coming direct from Bogota? Not really. Well, for Colombia, yes. It was mainly Bogota, but sometimes in Brazil or Argentina, there were problems there. You know, I have, a, I have, a, I have an impression of, uh, of Canada as being like a you know, pretty peaceful, crime-free nation. I guess if all the crimes by Canadians are committed abroad, that's probably why. It's hard to say what a crime, what is a crime in Canada, what is a crime in Colombia. Mm. You can be detained in Colombia for insulting someone. And sent back to Canada? That's your punishment. Well, often they are given a choice. You can uh, go to jail in Canada or go to jail in Colombia. That's a fair choice. I think I know which, which choice I'd be, I'd be going with if uh, I was given that option. Hmm. If there is one country in the world that you haven't been to, 
that <clears throat> I'll start again. What is one country in the world that you haven't been to that you'd really like to visit? Well, one big country on my go-to list is Australia. Australia? Yes, because my wife and I are scuba divers. So, of course, we want to go scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef once in our life. Mm, you might have to hurry. <laughs> they've, they've just started mining coal there, so... <laughs> You may only have a few years left before the government destroys it. I'm not worried. My good friend Andrew is going to go back and becomes a prime minister. <laughs> That's one job I wouldn't want, I must admit. Um, so tell us, what are what are some of the what are the, what are some of the best places you've been scuba diving? My best place. In the world was Cayman Islands. Was really nice place. A little bit pricey, but very nice. Good service. And Japan is also nice, but there's a Japanese barrier. Uh -huh. That if you go scuba diving in Japan, you have to follow the guide. You're not free to do whatever you want. You got strict regulations and you gotta do like the Japanese do. What are the best parts of Japan for snorkeling or scuba diving, I should say? Well, Okinawa is the best place. And I'd say that, I don't know, next time I go to Okinawa, if I want to go scuba diving, I'm gonna look for an American place. Ah. Maybe I can rent equipment there for cheaper and better. Okay. So, um, for those who don't know, Okinawa is uh, one location in Japan where there is... Well, it's probably the biggest American base in Japan. Military base in Okinawa. I think so. Hmm. So, there's also a lot of Americans living in Okinawa. Would that be right? Yeah, and they have free time, so they go scuba diving. And they start scuba diving businesses. Yeah. Well, if they retire from the, the army or... They have a partner who's working in the army, mm. get a job. Okinawa is uh, south of Kyushu, so it's uh, it's right in the southern part of Japan. Um, and uh, I think the Jap Japanese people regard it as uh, probably the best place for a holiday in Japan, generally, unless they're yeah, it's an skiing enthusiasts. Well, it's an affordable place. And they speak Japanese, they don't need a passport. So, and it's a tropical weather. Mm -hmm. Except when the typhoon season starts, it's not a place you want to be. No. And uh, before we go, tell us a little, just something, just a little bit about the Cayman Islands. <coughs> because it's, it's, a, it's a chance to cover somewhere that maybe someone else won't talk about. <laughs> What would you recommend about the Cayman Islands? Well, Cayman Islands is... I don't know, you need a lot of cash to do anything. It's one of these expensive places to go. Were you able to go there like uh, as a travel agent? Yeah, I was able to get there as a travel agent and... I got invited by the hotel. Oh, okay. So I had a free... 
two free nights at the hotel and I could visit behind the scene at the hotel and see everything. It was kind of a study tour. <laughs> now that's a study tour I'd like to be on. Yeah, and I extended it for my scuba diving up to a week. And what can people expect? It's uh, your, your typical island paradise, golden beaches. Well, it's an island, so it's difficult to get food over there. So if you go there, you have to eat at the hotel you're staying. There are hmm. not so many restaurants, and most of the food is brought by boat, so... It's a pretty small place? Yeah. And there are a few islands, so I went to one small, smaller island. So most of the people, they have their workplace and they work and eat there, go back home. If you go, I went to the supermarket there, there was not much to buy. And from the talk I had with the locals is when the food arrives at the supermarket, you have to eat it by the next day. It's already spent time getting there. Yeah. But what about seafood? Well, seafood is... I don't know. There's not much seafood. There are regulations about how many you can catch. So, if you want food, you have to eat at the restaurant. And uh, the Cayman Islands is a separate country or is it regarded as part of the States? No, it's a separate country. It's part of the British Empire. It's a Commonwealth country. They have their own money, but you can use American money there. And how far away? What's the what's the flight from Montreal to Cayman Islands? Well, there's no flight from Montreal. There's a flight wow. from Toronto straight to Grand Cayman, and it's about a three-hour, four-hour flight. Okay. It's not that far. And the Cayman Island is a Canadian paradise for banking and offshore accounts. So you can have access to all your bank accounts in the Cayman Islands. So, so where is it? Is it uh, I was thinking it was somewhere, you know, east of, of Florida, but if it's only three hours from Toronto... Well, it's south of Cuba. South of Cuba? It's only three hours from Toronto? Three or four hours, something like mm, that. Okay. Yeah, it's two hours to Florida, so it's not that far. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Maxine. Thank you for joining the podcast today. And uh, a special thank you for um, sharing your experiences uh, of what it was like uh, March 11th. Well, you're very welcome, and hope we can talk again. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Next week, we'll be back with episode four coming out on Friday as per the schedule. Uh, it's with two people next week. We have two interviews in the podcast, one with uh, an American, James Petrus, and another with Miho Terui, who is uh, the uh, the first actual 
Japanese person I've had on the podcast. Uh, so it'll be really good to hear from both of them. They're both、uh, living in Iwate、uh, as I record this, and、um, they've got some interesting things to say.、Uh, James has a good natter about the driving here, so that's worth listening to, if you, especially if you're coming to Japan and you might be driving around the place. So please stay tuned for that, and until next time, may the journey never end. Thank、you